If you would like more information about Jubilee Church, please visit our website at jubileestl.org. Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And a man lame from birth was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the beautiful gate to ask alms of those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, Look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up. And immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with him, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple, asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. While he clung to Peter and John, all the people, utterly astounded, ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's. And when Peter saw, if he addressed the people, men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at us as though by our own power or pity, we have made him walk? The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. But you denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. And you killed the author of life, whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses, and his name by faith in his name has made this man strong, whom you see and know, and the faith that is, that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health in the presence of you all. And now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did also your rulers. But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets, that his Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled." Repent, therefore, and turn back, that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all the things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. Moses said, The Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. You shall listen to him, and whatever he tells you to do. And it shall be that every soul who does not listen to the prophet shall be destroyed from the people. And all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel and those who came after him also proclaimed these days, you are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant that God made with your father, saying to Abraham, and in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. God, having raised up his servant, sent him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. Okay, chapter four. (laughs) And as they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. 
And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who laid, or sorry, but many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of men came to about 5,000. On the next day, their rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas, the high priest of Caiaphas, and John and Alexander, and all who were, who were of the high priest, priestly family. And when they had set them in the midst, they inquired, By what power or by what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of all the people and elders, if you are being, if you are being examined today concerning a good deal done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all of the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were that they were uneducated common men they were astonished and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. But seeing the man who was healed standing beside them they had nothing to say in opposition but when they had commanded them to leave the council they conferred with one another saying what shall we do with these men? For that a notable sign has been perform performed through them is evident to all of the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. But in order that they may spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in this name. So they called to them and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. And when they had further threatened him, threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them because of the people, for all were praising God for what had happened. For the man on whom this sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. This is the word of the Lord. Renee, well done. That is a hard, hard job that we gave you. So thank you for that. And well done to you. You uh, completed the Bible marathon this morning and you can take a rest this afternoon. You could even sleep during my sermon. I won't be offended. Uh, let me just pray for us. Father, I thank you so much for your word and the power of your word to affect our lives, to, to reveal yourself to us, God, to make us more like your son, to, uh, God, draw us near to you and even give us courage to speak to others. God, I, just, I pray would your word have a marvelous effect on our hearts and our minds today, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, as far back as I can remember, uh, baseball has been a part of my life. Uh, my dad, uh, as devoted a Royals fan as he is, uh, actually claims that when I was 10 months old, uh, when I was 10, I walked for the first time. And he says, by the time I was one year old, I picked up a wiffle ball bat and we had a tee on the front porch with a, and he had a ball on it. And he says, I picked up the bat and I hit the ball off the tee at one 
year old. And he just thought like, oh, this is my son. My son is gonna be an MLB baseball. My son is gonna make it. You know, he's gonna be the MVP. And uh, I thought it was a far-fetched story until uh, my daughter did this at nine months old. So we're pretty, we're pretty sure she's going to be one of those sled, you know, she's going to, um, she's older now, bobsled, thank you. Uh, she's older now. Uh, you know, but with these bionic infant instincts, my dad uh, was sure that I was a child prodigy in the making. And unfortunately, that, uh, la- that first year of my life pre- proved to be the glory days of my athletic ability. And uh, needless to say, I am not an MLB baseball player. I never had my opportunity to be the MVP that we all knew I should have been. So sad face for Dylan. Sad face for Dylan. No, seriously, though, I look at this text and I just see MVP, Christian MVP written all over it. I mean, I look at Peter and John and I think to myself, some people are inspired by this. I don't feel inspired by this. I feel crushed by this because I look at Peter and John and I think, I am not that. And I just think about Peter telling this story. And in my mind, it goes something like this. Uh, Peter, how was your day today? He's like, oh yeah, you know, John and I were just headed to an afternoon prayer meeting, you know, because that's what Christians do. We pray. And, uh, you know, we saw a poor crippled man on the way. And uh, yeah, we just decided to reach down and pull him up and miraculously heal him. But I mean, not a big deal. It's just what Christians do. You know, we pray for those who are sick and they always get healed. And uh, yeah, you know, a crowd gathered because they thought that was pretty impressive. But, we, you know, we just did what you would do as a Christian. We just preached the gospel to him and, you know, decent response. You know, average day, you know, just uh, 5,000 men plus women and children all believed. And, uh Yeah, yeah, the rulers and the chief priests, they got jealous and arrested us and threatened our lives. But we saw it like you would just as an opportunity to preach the gospel again. And so we preached to them and said, who are we to obey men? We're always gonna obey God, right? I mean, I think about Peter saying this, I'm just like, my goodness, man. I am like, I do not, I do not measure up even the slightest to the amount of uh, faithfulness, the amount of boldness that I see in Peter and John. I mean, they just have MVP written all over them. They're like throwing gospel touchdowns, hitting home runs left and right. And I think about them and I read this story. I'm just like, wow, they must be like tall, dark, and handsome. You know, they must have been the most educated men. They must have went to the best schools. They must have had the best mentors. They must have gotten the best grades. They must have been awarded the most likely to succeed. And yet, when I look at verse 13, it says something that absolutely blows my mind. It says that they were uneducated, common men. That they were uneducated, common men. Which, if, if, if this was said about you or I, that's a dig to any of us. That, that hey, you're, you're just uneducated and common. I mean, you're about as average as average gets, right? I mean, that's, that's a dig to anyone, but especially in this day, that's a dig. Uh, The educational system of the day centered around the Old Testament and specifically the Torah, a portion of the Old Testament. And everyone went to learn the Torah until about age 10. That's just what everyone did. Most went on to do the family business, the the average folk. But the best of the best, those who who understood the Torah and the prophets the most, who, who, who probably had a lot of it memorized, they would be picked up by a rabbi. And they would be taught by that rabbi how to think and how to act and how to be like the rabbi. And, and this commitment to learn from a rabbi was a full-time uh, commitment. And the, the fact is when Jesus finds Peter and John, he finds them running the family business. They're fishermen. 
at least, at least in their teenage years. And, and it means that they didn't make the grade, that they weren't the cream of the crop, that they, that they weren't the valedictorian. It means that they were just the average common guys. They weren't the best of the best. They weren't picked. And these, that's why these Pharisees and rulers are just astonished because they're looking at these average men and yet they have this unique power and authority, which is greater than the cream of the crop. They, these average men look like and speak like men of God more than even the cream of the crop, more than even those who are most educated by the best rabbis. And friends, when I look at this, I'm incredibly encouraged because we often disqualify ourselves from being used by God because we think we're not smart enough or intelligent enough or that we've been educated enough. We don't know our Bible enough. We're not bold enough or winsome enough. And we have all these reasons. And many of us just live with the lie that somehow we're not good enough to tell someone else about Jesus or that we're not faith-filled enough or or have the miraculous powers enough to pray for someone who's hurting or sick and to actually see God's hand at work in their life. And, and I just love that although Peter and John are apostles, I love that the scriptures don't point to their apostolic pedigree or their abundance of faith or their brilliant answers for the reason that their ability, that they are able to perform this miracle and preach so powerfully. I love, I just love that the scripture points to the fact that they're uneducated common men. It points to their weakness, not their strength for the reason that they were able to do these things. It points to the fact that they're blue collar fishermen, that there's nothing special about them, that they are average in every sense of the word, like average IQ, average speech ability, average social skills, average looks, average, 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 average. And if you've ever had someone say to you that you're just average, or you've ever felt to yourself that you're just an average person, maybe you felt you're below average. It's, it's, it's important for us to ask the question, you know, if they were just these average guys, how did they do these extraordinary things? Where did they get this uncanny confidence to heal and this boldness to speak? What was their secret? And if we look at the text, the answer is just so simple, and you may already know it. It's Acts 4.13. It says that they had been with Jesus. Acts 4.13 says they had been with Jesus. The most educated, powerful, influential people in their city could not put a stop to what God was doing through these common, uneducated men because they had spent a few years with Jesus just getting their worlds rocked by him. And after just a few short years with him, they could not help but pray for those who are sick and hurting and speak boldly about the name of Jesus just a few short years, and they were so transformed that they became these bold, faithful men. They must have been paying attention when Jesus told them in John 15, abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much Fruit for apart from me, we gotta hear this. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Friends, can we just eat up that humble pie for a second? That apart from a relationship with Jesus, there is nothing we can do in this life that has eternal significance or value. And that's hard for us Westerners to get our mind around because we're just doers and accomplishers and we think that we can make it happen. Like, if it be, it's up to me. But and it is hard for us to get our mind around this differing worldview that, that apart from relationship with Jesus, we can do nothing of eternal significance or value. 
Sure, we can build a business that's successful. We can get a lot of social media followers. We could build a reputation. We could even start good nonprofits. We could feed the homeless. We could do all sorts of activity, even good activity. But we can do nothing of eternal significance or value if we do not abide in him, in a relationship with him. And if, and if the works that we do are not sourced out of and sustained by a relationship with him, we are like branches that are connected into a vine, just like my arm is connected into my body. If you cut my arm off and set it to the side, quickly it dies. You could heal me up and I'll live. Jesus, the branch, he'll always live. The vine, he'll always live. But you cut us off and we die. You cut us off, there's no fruitfulness coming from us. We need, we need to eat this humble pie. We need to recognize this reality. And Jesus, he says to abide in him in three ways. He says, abide in my words, abide in my love, and abide in my joy. Abide in my words, listen to my words, receive my words, meditate on my words, soak yourself in my words, and let my words abide in you. Spend time in the scriptures knowing it, memorizing it, meditating upon it, letting it transform your heart and your mind and your actions. He says, abide in my love, and he compares that to abiding in his commandments, which we think obedience and love are almost like opposite things, like obedience is this heavy, strict thing, and love is this warm hug, but Jesus actually says, when you abide in my commands, you do abide in my love. 1 John 4, 8 tells us that God is love, that he's not only the definition of love, but he's the source of all love. If you wanna define love, don't define love and then take it to God. Go to God and let him define it for you. And so God is love and abiding in his commands, doing the things he tells us to do is the way that we walk in the love that he provides for us. And then he says, abide in my joy. Jesus has eternal lasting joy for us. Psalm 1611 says that in God's presence, there's fullness of joy. At his right hand are pleasures forevermore. The Christian life is not meant to be a heavy straight jacket. The Christian life is meant to be a walk of love and joy in the words and in the commands of Jesus. But these promises are only true for us if and only if we abide in Jesus. How did these uneducated common men turn the world upside down? They had been with Jesus and they had been filled with the power and presence of the Holy Spirit. Peter was not always this bold. Matter of fact, as Jesus is headed to the cross, Peter, his right-hand guy, his main man, Peter rejects him and denies him three times in the hour that he should have been most bold for him. I don't know about you, if you've been walking for Christ any period of time, but there are opportunities where we can be and actually should be bold and we're not. And we could take that and, and, and condemn ourselves and be upset with ourselves. Or we could take that as a learning opportunity to say, we need to learn what Peter learned. And the turning point for Peter comes in Acts chapter two, where Peter is filled with the presence and power of the third person of the Trinitarian God. He is filled with the presence and power of the Holy Spirit himself. And I have good news for you, friends. That same power that raised Jesus from the dead, that same power that filled the apostle Peter with this boldness and this confidence to speak and to heal, that power is available to you and I today. As Jesus said in Acts chapter one, verse eight, he says, but you will receive power, speaking to his disciples, but also to all who would call on his name. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Friends, no matter how impressive or unimpressive we think we are, there is only one MVP in the Christian faith. His name starts with a J and it ends with a Jesus. That's right, Jesus, Jesus. 
And there's no such thing as great Christians, by the way. It's just a great God. And Christians who either live their lives abiding in and obeying him and those who don't. And so I just wanna ask you today, not as a means of condemnation, but a means of evaluation. Are you living your life abiding in and obeying Jesus? And if you're not, what if today was the day that you just committed in your heart and said, you know what? I wanna start abiding in and obeying him. I wanna start walking in his word and his love and his joy. And a part of that is that we share our faith with others. A part of that is that we step into this life that God has invited us into to confidently and boldly pray for those who are far from him and speak with them about what Jesus has done. And he's given us this power, the presence of the Holy Spirit himself. The Spirit was given to every single person who calls on the name of Jesus. The moment that you call on him, the moment that you believe in him, you receive the fullness of the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. And yet Jesus says that he will give him to us without measure, that he's not limited in how much of the Spirit he gives which means that every single time we say, Holy Spirit, will you fill me again? Will you help me in this moment? Will you give me wisdom and direction and strength and boldness? He's faithful to send him upon us once again to empower us and equip us to do what he's called us to do, which means whether you're in your workplace or the coffee shop or walking around your neighborhood or talking with family members in every single situation, when you just pray this simple prayer, Holy Spirit, help me. There he is to come alongside and help you and lead you forth into all that God has for you. Greg Nelson, one of the elders and pastors here, he said to me recently, he said, living the Christian life and not sharing our faith in the power of the Spirit is like owning a Lamborghini and never driving it. May the Spirit of God never be just a nice car we park in our garage and polish up every now and then when we come to Sunday services. But might we walk with the Spirit of God in such a way that we go out and drive and enjoy all of the benefits and blessings and the power that is provided in his presence. To obey the promptings of the Holy Spirit when he just pricks our heart or nudges us to, to do that thing or to speak to that person or pray for that person, that we would just say, yes, Holy Spirit, I'll, I'll obey you right now. Yes, I'll, I'll walk in the ways of Jesus right now. John chapter 10, Jesus promises us that there are sheep of his fold who have not come in yet, which means that there are pre-Christians just all around us, probably in this room. Some of you have not yet called on the name of Jesus, which should encourage us greatly knowing that Jesus is preparing people before you and I ever get to them. In a sense, we, the church, are guaranteed success in our mission to go and find the lost people, the lost sons and daughters of God whom he loves and cares for and sent his son to die for to go and find them and bring them back into God's fold. This should free us up to boldly share our faith in the power of the Spirit and joyfully leave the results up to God because he's the one who draws a person unto himself. Abby, who was baptized two weeks ago, shared how God used Brittany, a member here, to simply be her friend. They were neighbors and would walk the neighborhood together, catching up on life. And slowly but surely, Brittany was able to share Jesus with Abby. And God was doing something in Abby's life already before Brittany showed up. But through prayer and simple obedience, Brittany got to play a part in what God was doing in her story. You may feel that you're not smart enough or eloquent enough to share your story or the story of Jesus with someone, but let me just say, you know, neither did Moses or Paul. Matter of fact, Paul actually said in 1 Corinthians 2 that he purposely avoided clever oratory maneuvers so that the simple gospel would be put on display. 
not man's wisdom. When you and I try and be impressive, we actually get in the way of what God wants to do. But when we humble ourselves and just present the simple, clear message of what Jesus has done in our lives and for the world, we get out of the way and let him do his work in a person's life. So you may ask, okay, Dylan, that's great. I wanna be empowered by the spirit. I wanna invite Jesus, but I just don't know what to say. I just don't know what I would say to share my faith. Well, look at the simplicity of this message that Peter preaches, Acts chapter four, verse 10 through 12. The question is, who healed this man? And Peter's response is just as simple as the question. He says, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel, but that by the name of Jesus, Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. The question was, who healed this man? And Peter's response, I believe, was just as simple as the question. He says, Jesus healed this man. Jesus, the guy you crucified, the guy that God raised from the dead, he healed the man. Yeah, the man that was paralyzed for 40 years that's standing before you well, Jesus gave him power to make him stand before you well. Jesus is the healer. Jesus is the savior. Jesus is the cornerstone. Jesus is the center through which all of God, he is the, he is the centerpiece of all God's redemptive story over humanity. Notice how much Jesus is in there. Friends, we don't have to have all the answers to every single question and every single objection. What we need to do is simply present Jesus and what he has done for us and for the world. Jerry Wiles, an entrepreneur and businessman who leads hundreds of people to faith every year through simple daily interactions. In his classic book, The Faithful Witness, he says this. He says, in over 30 years of actively sharing Christ with others, I found that there are two, only two, very important keys to bringing people to the Lord. One, know who you are in Christ and who he is in you. In layman's terms, abide in Jesus. Know Jesus and know what he has done in your life. Secondly, be willing to bring up the name of Jesus in a conversation. Just be willing to bring up his name. I found that these two are actually quite true. Once I get over those two hurdles, the rest tends to fall into place. What do you say once you bring up Jesus' name? Let's just unpack Peter's message together. So he says, Jesus, whom you crucified. So Jesus, who died for the sins of the world, whom God raised from the dead, that's important. And faith in his name is the only way that a person can be saved. This, this salvation assumes a couple of things that would have been common in the Jewish mind that may not be common in our mind. It assumes that we're saved from something and we're saved to something. Every Jew would have known that you're being saved from your sin and your brokenness and that you're being saved back to right relationship with God. And this message, it is so simple. And I think sometimes we complicate it in our minds. And I came across a tool about a year ago that I've just found really helpful in just simply communicating the message of what Jesus has done for the world. So I just wanna show you this. I, I drew this out this morning. I didn't come up with this, but uh, I drew this out this morning. And uh, you can draw this out. I actually have a, a blank sheet of paper in your bulletin that if you wanna just draw it out now, if you wanna get your phone out, snap a picture of it, feel free to do that. But I would share this with someone when I'm seeking to share with them who Jesus is and what he's done. Actually, I was in Starbucks a few months ago and uh, I just struck up a conversation with one of the baristas and he happened to be raised Muslim and uh, was now agnostic. And I was just asking him questions about his faith, just genuinely interested, trying to learn. And that's important that we genuinely care about people and are genuinely interested in their lives. And, and he asked me after some conversation, what do you believe? And it's actually quite common if you'll take genuine interest in someone's life and listen to them 
and care about what God is doing in their life, maybe what they believe, they'll ask you the same question. So I just said, well, this is what I believe. I can explain it in three circles. The first is God's perfect design. When God created the world, he created it perfectly. Without sickness or death, without any pain, without evil, without injustice, he created a world of love and goodness where he was the king and we were his people. And and there was perfect harmony between God and men. But then sin entered into the world. Sin is just people turning their hearts away from God. Sin entered into the world and brokenness entered into the world. The world was, is now marked by brokenness. It doesn't take long to figure that out, does it? I mean, you turn on the news and you see there's a lot of brokenness. There's a lot of evil. There's a lot of injustice. But it's not just brokenness in the world. It's brokenness in our lives. In our own lives, we experience loneliness, depression, anxiety, fear. We experience brokenness of relationships. We experience sickness in our bodies. There's brokenness throughout our lives. And we may do things to try and escape this brokenness. We may try and do some self-help or we may turn to drugs or alcohol. We may try and fill that void within us with relationships or, or, or career or whatever it may be. And yet we always snap back into this reality of brokenness because nothing can heal our brokenness except for God himself. So God in his love for us sent his son Jesus who came down from heaven and he died on a cross. Three days later, he rose from the dead that he might give life to anyone who called on his name. And he said, if you simply turn away from your sin and believe in him, that he would bring you back to right relationship with God. And one day, he would make a new heaven and a new earth, a world once again that didn't have any brokenness in it. And he just asked, what do you think about this? Do you believe this? What questions do you have? And if someone says, I wanna actually become a Christian, which my friend at Starbucks, he, he hasn't yet, but I'm praying one day he will. What, what is the rest of your life with Jesus like? Well, you just spend the rest of your life abiding in him, becoming more like him, and then going back into brokenness and telling everyone you can about him. That's the gospel in a nutshell. Just three circles, clearly, simply explain it. Let me tell you, every single person in this room can do this. You could, you could go home today and you could do this with your kids, with your parents, with siblings, with neighbors, with coworkers. You could call up people from, from years ago and say, hey, I just, can I just tell you something that God's done in my life? Can I just tell you something that's totally transformed my life? And it's only gonna take a couple minutes. Here's a soundbite from a Jubilee member who recently has done just that. She says, feeling stirred by others around me who are praying forward, sharing Jesus with those far from God. I began praying for God to give me a heart and for opportunities to share. One day, God brought the name of a girl to mind I'd been trying to connect with and been inviting her to church for several months, but it had never worked out. At this point, it had been many weeks since I had reached out to her, but when her name came to mind, I immediately texted her and asked her to coffee. Her response, is what she, her response was that she had just been thinking of texting me the same thing the night before. We got together and she opened up about some recent difficult circumstances that had left her lonely and desperately desiring community. I was able to listen and share my story. God is definitely pursuing her. And I think she's really starting to understand her need for a relationship with Jesus and community. I'm excited to continue walking with her and connecting her to the Jubilee family. Simply reaching out to someone that was on her heart that she had been praying for. And now God has opened this door to share her story and the story of Jesus. And that little seed of the gospel, God says, won't return to him void, but it will accomplish that which God sent it forth to do. It's so powerful when we just share our story and the story of Jesus.
I've been so encouraged by the story of the woman at the well in John chapter four, the Samaritan woman. She's a woman whose life is marked by brokenness. She's a woman that was actually, had, a, had quite a bad reputation, not only because of her ethnic identity, but because of how promiscuous she was. She was a woman that was known for getting around. And John chapter four tells this story of Jesus coming to sit next to her at a well. And he has a brief encounter with her and he asks her a few questions and conversates with her. And then it says she goes off after this brief encounter with Jesus. And she goes into her town seemingly having her life transformed. And she tells everyone in her town her story of encountering this man who could be the Christ. And John tells us shortly after, uh, John tells us shortly after she went into her town that this was the response. John, John chapter four, verse 39 through 42 says, many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. And many more believed because of his word. Isn't that incredible? A woman with a pretty awful reputation, with no prior knowledge of Jesus, just has this brief encounter with Jesus, who she goes and says, this could be the Christ. She tells her story to everyone in her town, and it says many believed immediately when they heard her story. And then many more were curious enough, they didn't believe, but they were curious enough to come and meet him for themselves. And when they met him for themselves, they said, we don't believe because of what you said. We believe because we've seen it for." ourselves. Friends, I believe that your story and my story is equally as powerful as hers. And the difference is not in the power or the value of the story, but simply in whether or not we're willing to share it. So how do we start? What do we do? Well, I believe that we start the way we always start, which is to follow Peter and John's example and to be men and women of prayer. Prayer is two-way communication with God, and there is no greater privilege on earth or heaven than to pray. God has given us in prayer the ability to bring heaven to earth and his power to bear in the lives of others. As Jesus said in Luke chapter 11, if you ask, you will receive. And if you seek, you'll find. If you knock, the door will be opened to you. When we pray for friends and family, we knock on heaven's door on their behalf. And as it's been said, you know, before you go and talk to men about God, go and talk to God about Men, I just wanna invite you to begin praying for friends and family who are far from God this morning. And so what I've done in your bulletin shell, there's a, there's a list of 50 blank spots. And I wanna encourage you to go home today, take that list with you and just begin thinking about the people in your life who are far from God, the people who maybe don't have a relationship with Jesus yet and put their names on that list and then tuck that list in your Bible. And every morning when you get up or every night before you go to bed, maybe on your lunch break, just Take a few of those names and say brief, simple prayers for God to reveal himself to them. Maybe just pray, God, would you reveal your love to John? God, would you give me an opportunity to speak with Susie or whoever it may be? Maybe you would circle five names on that list that are the people that you have the most faith to bring up maybe your story and the story of Jesus. Speaking of your story, there's on, in your bulletin as well, there's a a sheet with, uh, it says, my story. And Your story is so, you can so simply write it out. You simply write out, before I knew Jesus, and then fill in the blanks. How I came to know Jesus, and then fill in the blanks. Now that I know Jesus, how has he changed my life? And in telling your story, you can actually communicate the story of what God has done. Around here, we use a little acronym to help us remember that that we've been blessed by God so that we might be a blessing to the world, that that we don't wanna just be cul-de-sacs of God's love, keeping it to ourselves. We actually wanna be conduits and rivers of the blessing of God 
to the world. And so this little acronym is just BLESS, B-L-E-S-S. And, and the first one is begin with prayer, the one we've been talking about. The next one is listen, just taking genuine interest in the lives of others. The third one is eat, it's everyone's favorite. Just eating, sharing meals, being, being together with others. It's hard to hate someone when you're sitting across the dinner table from them. Food, it just communicates relationship, intimacy, togetherness. Eating with people is actually quite powerful. Jesus did it all the time. The first S is serve, that we seek to serve others. It's more of a posture than an activity. We do the activity, but the posture of, I actually care and I'm more concerned about you than I am myself. That's how Jesus was with us. He says, the son of man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life away as a ransom for many. As Christ followers, that's how we wanna be. And finally, story, sharing your story and the story of Jesus. Friends, what if every single one of us made that prayer list? Just everyone in this room right now, what if we just made that prayer list, began praying every day for a few names on that list? God, would you reveal your love to them, open doors for me to share with them, and then every week just sought as God opened doors and we saw opportunity to do the other actions of blessed, to listen and eat and serve and share our story and the story of Jesus. Brian, our lead pastor, he asked the same question at the beginning of this series on January 6th. And he just dreamed with us, what would it be like if every single one of us sought to share our story, the story of Jesus with one person a week for the rest of the year? It'd be 50 Sundays. He said at a 4% success rate, just like Brian, just crunching numbers, you know, he said at a 4% success rate, that's one person that each and every one of us would have the joy of holding their hand and walking with them to come and meet the son of God who died to take away the sins of the world, who rose to give them life forevermore. That'd be one person, a friend or a family member, a neighbor, a coworker that before was far from God and now is living in and enjoying the love of God in Jesus. Maybe you're here this morning and and you have have never experienced the love of God in Christ, that that the son of God who gave his life to, to give you life, the son of God who died for your sins, upon a cross that you didn't have to bear the penalty and the weight of your sin, but, but you could actually call upon his name and he would give you the gift of forgiveness and salvation that he would invite you to come and sit at the table of the Father God, the, that, that you'd be able to sit at heaven's table and enjoy all the riches of a relationship with God, not because of what you've done, not because you climbed the moral ladder, the spiritual ladder up to God, but because you trusted in the one who came down from heaven to give his life for you. And friends, when, when we seek to share, that's what it's about. It's about bringing the love, the kindness, the mercy of God to those who have not yet received it. And I just wanna pray for us today that our hearts would be pricked, that we'd be prodded by God to do that. Not so that we'd be good Christians, but so that we would walk in all that Jesus has called us to and that we would invite the world around us to come and know his great love.